I want to open this in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Father, for uh, what lies beneath. Because, Father, what, what I want us to see is that the greatest thing that's beneath is you. And that what we want to do is grow in our relationship with you so that what's on the inside truly becomes what's seen on the outside. That, that we're not walking in conflict or in a paradox, but, Father, we're walking in your truth and your hope and your light that what you see is what you get. And so, Father, uh, we as men, let us walk closer and stronger with you. Let us hear the message that you have for us today. May our ears be open to hear, our eyes be open to see, and our hearts ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, men, so we've been talking about this process of what lies beneath, uh, of sanctification. And, if you, and I think this is a great illustration that we have up before you this morning uh, with the glacier. And you see the majority of that glacier is under the water. And, and then there's just a little bit on, on the top. And, and that's kind of like us, that the world kind of surrounds us like the water but there's a lot to us. We're complicated individuals. We're complicated people. We're, we're, but we're in relationship with our Father. And our Father is, as we walk with Him, then really what lies beneath begins to become transformed into a wonderful image for His kingdom. And so I've had this illustration here for you over the last three, four weeks. And uh, I'm going to show you the illustration, but I'm going to add to it this morning, and hopefully it'll really start to make sense. You'll really start seeing why Jesus called us together. He calls, he tells Peter, I shared a little bit of this Sunday, but you remember the conversation that he has with Peter, and he says, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail over it. When he says that, he uses the term ecclesia, and the, the term ecclesia is one built or one attached to another, that we do this together. This is why Jesus uh, reminds us to let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works. Well, when he says that, he's saying that to a population, not just to individuals, but he's saying it to a population. In other words, when the lights come together, they shine ever more brightly. So we're not called to walk this and do this alone. We're called to walk this and do this together. So sanctification, as it is a process of God working on what lies beneath, on the deepest, most inner parts of our life. Sanctification is God working on us as individuals, but it's also His process of working on His church. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. He takes us to a place, and He says that, speaking of the church, that He may be able to present her pure, spotless, and holy, before her groom so why would he say that he's saying that the body of christ that as we walk in this process of sanctification and we go from point a to point z because we'll cover the alphabet in our life right and as we get to this place that we as a body too this is the importance for the church this is why the church is an equipping center this is why the church is a teaching place this is why the church makes disciples of jesus christ because we're being equipped through this process of sanctification now watch how this works now i've shown you this the dirty muddy nasty water with a dirty spoon and and what happens is you've you've seen this process so we take the pitchers of water and we're going to talk about water in the process of sanctification today but you take this and you pour it in like this So I've told you this isn't about sin management. 
This is about walking with God, and as we walk with God, the impurities, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, right, the sinful pride of man, those things that are listed in Scripture are rinsed away as we walk with God, are pushed out to purify us, and this is truly what lies beneath. I think it's a great illustration because I think it explains what sanctification is. As we walk with the Lord, He presses, He roots that stuff out of our life. Now, this is the part I want you to see. So then we're called into the world. Jesus says, go into all of the world and make disciples. As we make disciples, that means that you're taking someone through the process of sanctification, of walking nearer and closer to the Lord. So we do this together. We do this as the ecclesia. We do this as the church. Now, if you take these, this is me, this is Brit, right? This is, there's, there's other glasses up here. And, and as we spilled all this stuff out, there's still all this junk in the world. That still surrounds this cup. When I set this cup in here, you can see all the dirt, the muck, the grime of the world. And, and it goes back to Peter's conversation with Jesus. When Jesus goes to wash his feet, he says, hey, don't just stop with my feet. Wash the rest of me. And he said, the rest of you is not dirty. You just pick some things up as you walk through the world. I need to wash your feet, right? And so here's what happens as we walk through the world. Of course, there's this stuff. But as we walk with Jesus, we begin to pour ourselves back into the world. This is why Jesus says not to do the things of the world, but that we, the greatest among you, will be the servant of all. And so you take a handful of these cups one cup didn't seem to make too much of a difference. But you keep pouring, and you keep pouring, and this bowl's too big. And I told Caleb yesterday, I said, Caleb, as you set it up, I, I can't have 500 cups up there, you know, to really make the illustration stick. But you can see that as we pour what we have in together, eventually that dilutes the muck and the mud of the world. And that's the process of sanctification. So it is for us as individuals, but it's also for us as the church to go into all the world and make disciples. You dilute the bad. We won't ever completely push it out until Jesus' return because sin entered the world, and that's just a lot of what we see are the impacts and the effects of sin. And sin, if you were to define sin something other than, than death, sin equaling death, you could define sin as the absence of God in those areas. And so we are bringing the light, the water, the word into the darkest areas of people's lives, but also into the darkest areas of the world. And so it dilutes the darkness. Give you some great examples in my own life where darkness was diluted when I was in North Africa. Uh, <laughs> you know, the uh, trying to think which trip it was, but I know when, when we went into a particular tribe there and how dark it was that originally their thoughts of us were, were heathens. Um, don't let them out of their little cell rooms. There are six of us. They divide us up into twos. And we're in this, I'm in this cell brick chamber that's half the size of this area up here, tiny. And uh, we weren't allowed to go and see and do. We stayed there and until either one of the leaders of the tribe or someone came to get us to walk with us, but we went nowhere alone. They were always with us. And then they, uh, we were told, even in their homes, they were called Cosbos, that we were not allowed to leave those rooms 
and, and wander through the rest of the cosmos. You stayed there. You had no rights. You couldn't look at the women. You, all this, this, these types of rules and regulations. So as, we, as, uh, as I said in there every morning, the man that I stayed with, his name was Mustafa. And Mustafa would come down, and I was always reading my Bible when he would come down. And he was, he was, pursuing, uh, he, he was pursuing becoming an imam. He was one of the leaders of those 2,500 people. And so... It really confused him when I would be reading my Bible and he would ask me some questions and we would try to get through uh, <laughs> the language barrier. But my point being, at the end of 14 days of sweating, of sleeping on that floor and everything else, reading my Bible, he came to me and held my hand and walked me out of that room and then he walked me through the house at the end of the 14 days, which I had not seen, walked me over to a cosby he had built next to his for his son and wanted me and my wife and my family to move in there. And, and this is what he told the worker that was in our area. He said, this man um, does what he believes and I see love in him. So it dilutes what? The darkness. This is how God works through the process of sanctification, regardless of where we go, regardless of what environment you are, you're a light bearer, you're a light bringer. And so just to show you this idea as we, if we had, sure, five of these diluted it a little bit, but what about 500 of these? You see what I mean? It, eventually it's going to rinse this whole thing clean. And that's what happens with the church. We get rinsed, we get made without spot or wrinkle as we walk through this life, as we disciple one another, as we come into a commitment to Jesus and commitment to one another. This is what happens is we begin to impact the community, the culture that we're in, and eventually that spreads, and you go all the way out from Jerusalem, Judea, to the very ends of the earth. And that's how it was designed to work. I hope that makes sense to you, and, and you can kind of grab a hold of what Jesus has done in prompting us in his word. So with that, let's talk about the water for just a moment. Water throughout scripture, water is, is where you find life. So as you read scripture, I'll give you some illustrations here in just a moment, but water is a great illustration for where God is at work. Because God is life, water brings life. And I like to say it this way, where there's water, there's life. Where, where God's at work, there is life. There's life in you, but there's also life going on around you. A few years ago, my, my dad and I, we were hunting near canyon and uh, or near the canyon let me say this one of my fondest memories of my dad and it's really a fairly recent memory anyway I had a particular place I wanted to take him to and he he his his legs you know aren't as strong as they used to be but I hiked him on back there got him up on top of the canyon and where we were standing he could have taken a shot probably up to two or three hundred yards uh, all the way around him if he saw a deer he would be able to take this shot so I wanted him to set up there and as we were sitting up there, we were visiting, and I said, uh, I said, Dad, just look over there by the river, by the creek. I said, man, look how green it is. This is the middle of the wintertime. You know, we're talking about probably uh, December time frame. I think it was over the Christmas holidays. And he, he looked down there, and he said, yeah. He said, Curtis, where there's water, there's life. And I thought, man, I preached that one. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a great. But even in the wintertime, where there's water, there's life. And in the time of death, where there's water, there's life. I wanted to bring one of my North African pic pictures and just show you where, uh, where we stayed. It is in the northern Sahara. It is nothing but sand. And there's one river that goes through there. 
and around that river there's date trees, palm trees, all kinds of trees spreading out for about a hundred yards on each side of that river and it just cuts through brown and it's solid green. It's God's illustration to us that where there's water there's life. Did you know the Apostle Paul when he first started preaching and he started teaching if there was not a synagogue in the areas that he went to you know where the meeting of the religious happened? It was on, that's right, it was down on the stream. It, 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 it was down depending on the areas that he was in, the Gishon, the Pishon, the Euphrates, or the Tigris, right? It was somewhere in those areas. And so with that, that's where he would go because he knew that uh, the people of God, or at least the ones that worshiped God, this is where they would go if they didn't have a facility. So there were oftentimes he would walk down the riverbanks to find the people of God to say the Messiah has come. This is who he is. And so uh, where there's water, there's life. Where there's water, let me say it this way, there's God. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water. He's like what? He's like a tree. So the man that walks with the Lord, the man that walks in sanctification on his way to holiness is like a tree planted by what? By the water is what he's saying. That sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green. It is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Boy, that's the scripture we ought to all memorize. You want to bear fruit? Stay by the stream of living water. Right? It's amazing to me how we wander around in the desert. It was never God's intention for us. Remember the Israelites, they were supposed to go into the land flowing with milk and honey. Instead, their impatience with God, a disobedient, a disobedient spirit, poor choices, it cost them a generation that dried up in the desert. And one of the challenges in life is not drying up. You know, if you float a river, it will wind up in one of two places. It'll either, either wind up in a lake or the ocean, I guess but a big body of water, right? Or it will what? It'll simply run out. Those are seasonal. We see those here. I saw one last week. Seasonal Creek. You know what I'm talking about? And in the summertime, when the farmers start pumping, all of a sudden the water's gone, right? So it's just, it's seasonal. Drought will come to every one of us as we're on this journey. There are going to be times that you're going to think, I'm floating down this river, and all of a sudden it dried up. I thought it was a good river. I thought water was life. I thought water was God in the illustrations that Curtis gave or that the church has given or the, the scripture gives. But here's what happens. Things happen in life. We get flat tires. We struggle with the effects of aging, health complications, diagnosis, right? We are, we are single. We don't want to be single. We are married. We don't want to be married. Just kidding. I want to be married. Okay, man. Right? Friends abandon us, spouses abandon us, financial hardships, the loss of a job, some experience spousal abuse, some experience uh, or have, some of you have experienced abuse as a child. Yes, there's no doubt. You may wonder where is the water. You may wander around in the desert. But how we respond will determine our destination. How you respond to life, how you respond to the hills and valleys, to the mountaintops, the peaks and the very lowest places in your life, look, how we respond will determine our destination. You'll either wind up in the promised land, the lake, 
or you'll wind up in the desert. I mean, it's Jeremiah who went on, and I, I saw this, some of y'all will remember this a year or two ago as I was reading through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. And that's where I came up with the term salt dry. There's dry and then there's salt dry. Right? A wound needs to dry up, but you want to dry it up quick? Put a little salt on it. Right? There's dry and there's salt dry. I don't know if you remember doing that with photosynthesis and trying to slow photosynthesis down in your science or biology lab and putting some salt on, on the leaf and trying to get the leaf to absorb some of the salt. Eventually, it's just like your blood vessel. It just dries up, right? There's dry and there's salt dry. It's not a great place to, to wind up. But it's not supposed to be that way for us. As we go on this journey, as we go on this journey from point A to point Z, I don't even like to say B because we, we're continuing on to the Lord, to holiness, and we walk through this place of sanctification. As we walk that, it, we should wind up, as we float that river, we should wind up in a greater body. A body that's full of people, full of souls, it's most importantly full of God. That's where it leads. Water leads to deliverance. If you think about this, uh, deliverance with, with water. Moses. Moses was placed in a basket, set in the reeds, and he floated down the river. That was a, a sign of deliverance, that God wants to deliver his people from the ways, from the muck, from the mire of the world that's all around here. He wants to deliver us into the sweet water water that we can drink, water that is good. Psalm 1-1, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. There it is again. So David comes in and says, hey, this person's like a, a, a man planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. When we delight ourselves in the Lord and on His ways, when we meditate on His Word for our lives, it, is, it begins and it sustains our journey, the depth of our water so that we can float. So men, we've got to hear, we've got to meditate on His Word. That's one of my first points. To continue on this journey, we must meditate. I had a man tell me last night that, hey, uh, I don't read. I said, you don't read. And I don't like reading. And I said, well, I don't either. But now that you mention it, I'm not the best reader. I'm slow. Uh, but what, why would you be opposed to putting effort to knowing your Lord and deepening your root system? I, I, that part I, I don't understand. And I said, especially now, because now you can get the Bible on, on CD. You know, you can get the Bible app and it'll read it to you. I like to listen. Uh, I listen to preachers. I listen to different ones, right? But there are ways, because that's the way, that's the word of the Lord. Now, the word of the Lord comes to us basically in three ways in Scripture. One is rhema. You don't have to know this. One is logos. And one is graphi. Rhema is the spoken word of God. God is speaking, right? He's, he's helping taking a, take us down 
his waters. The other is Logos. Logos is the living word of God. So uh, I, I had a big study on this at Duke. But the Logos is, uh, uh, is Melchizedek. Go look that one up, all right? That, that's, I mean, I'm sorry, guys. Melchizedek. So, so Melchizedek in the Old Testament was kind of a form of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it, he was the first priest to really uh, take on an offering. So, uh, and, and so when we, when we talk about that, that's really the living word. Christ in us, we have the living word within us, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's, that's what the logos would be. And then there's the graphe. The graphe would be the written word. Okay, the written word of God. And so those are three ways that, so we, here's my point, we're without excuse. <laughs> he's, try, he's trying to give himself to us in all these ways. Do we see them? <clears throat> There's a great promise in all of this. We are planted by streams of water. When we meditate on his word, we are planted by streams of water. We will yield fruit in due season. Our leaves do not wither, and whatever we do will prosper. John 4 is another example. I'm, I'm racing you guys through this because, because I need to, because I have way too many notes, okay? I have five pages. Now y'all are like, oh, geez, I should have stayed in bed. What no, you should get up and listen to the Word of God, okay? Here we are. <clears throat> John 4, 14. Now, this is the woman at the well. You're familiar with this. Jesus says to the Samaritan, I'll just kind of give you some here, history here. It's Jesus. He's going to Jacob's well. It's in the middle of the day. Now, in the middle of the day, this was a time when servants and the downcast would show up to get water. So if, uh, the, the, if you will, the servants, sometimes the criminals, sometimes those who, who had some kind of account against them, uh, racism, if you want to know what racism looked like, the Samaritans, the Samaritan woman, women, they were allowed to go to the well, but they had to go in the heat of the day. That's when they had to draw their water. They couldn't be there in the prime times of the morning or in the evening. They had to go in the heat of the day even to draw for their own camels. So here is a woman. She's a Samaritan, right? And he knows what she's done. Jesus goes in the middle of the day because he's for who the downcast and those who feel like, I'll never make it. I'll never amount to anything. I'm I'm second, and Jesus is always trying to say, no, 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 I created you with a plan and purpose, right? It's the culture that you're in that, that makes you second, third, and fourth. It's this, this muddy water right here that, that has stuck to you that's told you that. But I created you for my plan and for my purpose. So Jesus goes to the well, and so where there's water, there's life. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. And so he's at this water well. It's a famous well. It's Jacob's well. He knows what she's done. You remember she says, well, I need to go tell my husband. He says, you're right. Well, you're right in saying that because you have five husbands. The one that you now live with is not your husband. Well, I perceive that you are a prophet. So they have this big conversation here. This woman was dry. She was at the water trying to get a drink because she was dry. And then Jesus says in verse 14, he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. He offers this to her, right? But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And so water has this ability, men, throughout Scripture to wash and make clean. To wash and make clean. Give me some examples. Water has the ability to wash and make clean. Give me some examples. 
your clothes, okay? I'll give you the biblical example for that. The church at Laodicea. Church at Laodicea, you know, he says, I wish that you were, you were, you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because hot water has a purpose, they would wash their clothes in the hot stream. So they actually, in the city of Laodicea, they brought the two together and it became lukewarm. The cold water was over here where they could at least get a drink, a fresh drink of water. So yeah, you could wash your clothes over here, over here you could get a drink. Water is washing, it's nourishment, it's all those things. What are some other examples we see where the water washes in Scripture? Thank you. Baptism. I mean, baptism is an illustration of us dying with Christ and being raised in likeness of Him. What does the water represent? God. Where there's water, there's life. Baptism is an immersion in God. When we say baptism in the Holy Spirit, it is an immersion into God. The Holy Spirit is God. So it's an immersion in God. So, uh, great examples. Anything else that you can think of where there's the washing? I gave you a hint. I gave some foreshadowing a while ago. The flood. Oh, the flood. What, what is the flood doing? <laughs> you remember this? <laughs> well, it got really nasty back in that day and time. All right? So the water comes and it washes to make whole, to make pure. Another example is Ephesians chapter 5. I'm sorry. He washes the feet. Great example. That's right. He washes the feet. Ephesians chapter 5. He, he, we are to present the bride of Christ uh, as holy, right? As without spot or wrinkle. How do we do that? He goes on to say by washing her in the water of the word. In the water of the word. So you see, water is a process of sanctification. It's a process of washing off the things of the world and stepping into the things of God. That's water. So that's why Jesus says, hey, guess what? Whoever drinks of me, of the water that I give him, will never thirst because it will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life, meaning that, man, I want you to hear this. It's like this. It's going up. It's coming down. It's going up. It's coming down. Why is that important? Because that, there are times when we're walking when there's a lot of stuff that gets on us that has to be washed off. And he's saying, I'll give you that. Where you can, you can walk clean. You can walk fresh. You can, I mean, I'll Irish spring you, right? I mean, I use Irish springs. I like the smell of that soap. And so he's saying, hey, this is the way it works. It's a continuation where I'm at work in you cleansing you as you go along your journey and as we come together and we walk on our journeys together then we become the 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 very essence of God that washes the world that dilutes the sin that dilutes the nastiness dilutes the things of the world now I mean I could take that oh I'd like to run with you on that one how do we dilute when we come together oh Boy, there's just huge weight. I mean, one is you better vote. <laughs> Christians need to, to get up and get out and quit saying, hey, well, God will take care of it. Well, God chose us. This is, what, this is why this is so important. All these cups come together to pour into the loot. There, 
There are other ways. Hey, what about the hungry? Well, did you know the church brings in enough money to feed all the hungry in the world every year? Then why aren't we? You know, there's some some tough questions that the church needs to, to answer. Who are we about? The greatest among you will be the servant of all. Really, do we serve or do we look to be served? Another thing, sometimes, see, the Holy Spirit never runs out. He's always giving. He's always, he's always pouring. It's going up and down. Here's what happens is we sometimes just quit drinking. We, we quit stepping in the shower. You ever been around people? <laughs> sometimes, when I was a kid, my grandmother and my mother would have us go and clean up my mom would take a broom and have us stand outside of the house and beat us down with a broom, knocking the dirt off us. And then we would go in and have to wash our hands and she would inspect them. And then we would go and sit down and eat at the table. How, how many times you see kids nowadays that they come in in old grubby hands? See, Sometimes you introduce them to the Lord by just having them take a bath. Where there's water, there's life. Rinsing them off, doing things. I think some want to show how hard they work. Sometimes you can't help it. You just got greasy, grimy, nasty clothes on. Happened to me the other day out in the barn and working on on the floor. I got gas all over me, pulled the carburetor off and, you know, all this stuff. Then we had to go, and I'm trying to get the gas smell off. I can't, and I embarrassed myself because we went to a pretty nice little deal, and I smell like gas. You know, I don't like that. Why do I share that? I share it because God has given us examples even by stepping in the shower. Even your mom telling you to scrub up or, or beating you off with a broom, dusting you off with a broom to, to, to clean up. You know, we've, we've lost some of those mannerisms that I believe today in time would point us back to, to God and what he does for us. Those are illustrations. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Why? Because they were really dirty. I'm sure some of them were, but some of them probably weren't that dirty. They probably just walked a block or two. But he did it to show, hey, I'm constantly washing you. Where there's water, there's life. Where there's water, there's cleanliness. Where there's water, there's hope. Where there's water, there's supply. All these things come with water. See, I believe that what God is after is for us to understand that not only do we drink the water and have the water in us, but we also give in Matthew 25 he says give to the one who is what thirsty give him drink he said as surely as you did this to the least of these you've done it unto who me a process of sanctification so I want to encourage you just ask you maybe some some questions are you planted by the feel you're in the desert you know sometimes we we need to look at that Remember, meditate. I, I kept this very simple. I gave you a very practical application today. Meditate on the Word. And the Word comes in three ways. When you listen to your radio, it's a great way to meditate on the Word. In worship, those types of things are processes of sanctification. Journaling. I, I actually made a list in here. Uh, uh, journaling is, is a great way. You may not be a writer but you know one day your journal could be a treasure for your children. And so it would be a, a great thing to hand off to them to, so that they can see 
what you're doing. Pray, of course. Prayer keeps this line of communication for Jesus to rinse you. It also helps your roots go deep and stay by that living water, regardless of what trail you're on moving towards your true north. If that trail takes you on a high or it takes you on a low, low it still keeps you centered. It keep, still keeps your gravitational pull going in the right direction. Your magnetic pull, not your gravitational. If it's gravitational, you're going six foot under. Anyway, so I would, I would suggest to you that as we go through these questions or, or anything else, you know, maybe the question that, that's deep inside of us is simply saying, Lord, help us to be this because and be this together as a church because the world obviously needs it. We as a church are to be sanctified, pure and spotless without wrinkle he goes on to say and holy that's the process and that's the process of doing it together let's pray father god i thank you lord for these men father i thank you for bringing us here this morning lord help us to dilute the very areas that we go into that are so dark with our likeness with our light and with the purity of the water that's within us where there's water, there's life. That's where you are, God. So let us walk in, in our baptism. And Father, let us celebrate when we see others join in that. And let us as the church, the men of the church, be united. And Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.